Good morning again. If you've just joined us in person or online, I'm Kong, the associate pastor. Again, great to have you with us this morning. Now, one of my favorite hobbies is fishing. I remember when I started getting serious with fishing, um, I sold some of my old, my old things, things that I used to enjoy to collect and, and, and some of my old hobbies to fund my new fishing hobby. And I remember I did so much research. I felt so excited buying my first Shimano rod and reel. If you know anything about Shimano, it's like the brand. And so it feels kind of like buying your first expensive brand name sneaker or clothing item or purse or uh, jewelry item. You know, buying it for the first time made me feel special. I felt like I could catch anything with this rod and reel. Now, a couple weeks after I bought my rod and reel, my brother-in-law, Boomy, invited me to go fishing with him. And he was telling me how hot it was, uh, how hot the fishing was. It was also literally really hot because it was the middle of July. And he was telling me, like, you know, go get a frog, a frog lure, and this frog lure is going to catch you everything. And the type of fishing that we did was topwater fishing. And so if you know anything about fishing or if you don't know anything about fishing, um, with topwater fishing, your lure sits on top of the water. It floats. And what happens is the fish will see the floating lure and they'll come up and they'll hit the, the lure that's floating on top of the water. So you'll see the splash and it's really exciting and really exhilarating. And so I went ahead and bought me a couple of frogs and I was super pumped for this. Um, now again, it, he wasn't joking. It was super hot. He had, he had been fishing for the last couple of weeks. It came the Saturday that we were going to go fish and we got to the, to the lake. We got our canoe on the, uh, on the lake. And, you know, as soon as we got on the water, the fish were already jumping, like literally jumping out of the water. They were shooting out like missiles. It was nuts. I took my first cast, and I threw my frog out. And as soon as the lure hit the water, no joke, a fish lunged at it. And with fishing, once a fish gets your lure, you're supposed to, they call it a, um, you're supposed to set the hook, so you're supposed to pull your rod and hook the fish. And so I did, but I missed. And that kept happening again and again and again and again and again and again. With frog fishing, the trick is because the, the, the frog, the, your lure is floating, it's sitting on top of the water. When the fish comes up for it, you're supposed to let it take it, go under, and then set the hook so that the hook can, can uh, hook the fish. What happens if... And what happens is when the fish hits it, you get so excited, or at least I got so excited, I'd be pulling the lure before the, the, the frog was completely in the fish's mouth. And so my first time frog fishing, it was super exhilarating. I was super excited. Again, I bought this new fishing setup. I was super pumped for it. I couldn't catch a fish. Now what happened later was when I did finally hook a fish, my line kept on snapping. And so my brother-in-law, Boomy, asked me, how many pound tests do you have? And so with fishing line, they, they are able to hold a certain amount of pressure. And so I told them, I'm fishing with 15 pounds of test. Now, if you know anything about fishing, you'd probably be like, Kong, you went fish, frog fishing with 15 pounds of test? You're crazy. It's like towing a car with dental floss. Because what happens is, in the middle of summer, when it gets really hot, the sun's out, you get a lot of grass and a lot of weeds and a lot of lily pads that grow. And so once the fish takes your lure and goes under, and you hook them, they realize they're hooked. And so they're swimming everywhere trying to escape. And so they swim into the grass. They swim into the lily pads. And so that fish might be weighing two or three pounds, but you put on top of that the pressure that they're putting on, that's a couple other pounds, and then they're diving into the muck, into the 
mud into the grass. That's, you know, and, and you get the water on that. I mean, that's easily 20, 30, 40 pounds. And so my brother-in-law looks at me, he's like, dude, I'm fishing with 55 pounds of line. I'm like, oh, man. I thought I had all the, all the right equipment. So what, a, you know, what I expect to be a killer fishing trip ended up being a bit of a lackluster letdown because, again, even if I did catch a fish and I only hooked a fish two or three times, my line snapped. And I began to realize that, you know, I might have had the right understanding of some of the things, like my rod and my reel, but not everything, like how to fish a frog and my fishing line. And so although I had some of the right understanding of what I was doing because I didn't have all of the right understanding, I didn't experience the results that I wanted. And sometimes I think our faith in Jesus can feel like this, where we have some of the information, but because we don't have all, the experience might feel a little lackluster. You see, last couple of weeks we've talked about how when we believe in Jesus and we know that he's our Savior, we're spiritually alive. And that when we believe in Jesus, we're declared free from all our past, present, future sins. But sometimes, even in understanding some of that, we might walk away and it feels like our life doesn't feel that much different. See, maybe we still struggle with some of our own sins and, and unhealthy habits. And we wonder, where is Jesus in all of this? Or we, may, we might experience sin and evil from others. And so we might be the victims from people who are being evil and being sinful to us. So we wonder, where is Jesus in all of this? Do you ever experience what I experience? The sense of, if I believe in Jesus, how come there's still a lot of hurt in the world? How come I'm hurting people and hurting others? And how come others are hurting me? again, it begs to sometimes ask, where is Jesus in all this? Now, if this is something that, you're, that you've thought about, that you're wondering, we're going to wrap up our Freedom from Sin series today, and we're going to explore what Jesus says about this. I really believe this is a vital component to understanding our spiritual life and understanding what it means to be free from sin because it could be the difference about being uncertain about our faith or diving even deeper into our relationship with Jesus. And so let's see what the Bible has to say for us this morning. We're going to be reading from Colossians, and I'm going to be in chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip to verses 5 and 10. And so if you've got your Bible with you, if you've got your Bible app with you, Go and pull it up. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip from 5 to 10. And if not, the verses, the passage will be put on screen um, here in person as well as online. And so feel free to follow along. So this is what Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and 5 through 10 says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such, of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. The book of Colossians is actually a letter written to warn a church about false teachings and how that the, 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 the false teachers, how they would pressure the believers' faith in Jesus. And so the author who wrote Colossians, this letter of Colossians, to the church in Colossae was Paul. He writes to the church to, to demonstrate that Christ is supreme over every human philosophy and tradition and that when they recognize Christ's supremacy, it's going to help them live their faith out on an everyday basis to honor God. Specifically in the passage that we had just read, Paul argues that holiness comes through understanding what it means to be a new creation and as a result of being united with Christ's death and resurrection. And so this passage has a lot of implications in, in what I had talked about, sometimes feeling like, okay, if, if I believe in Jesus, if my sins are forgiven, you know, if, I'm, if I'm spiritually alive, you know, why do I still struggle with sin? Why do I have some unhealthy habits that I, I can't kick to the curb? Why am I feeling the hurt from other people? Why are other people hurting me with their sins and evil? And so in understanding this passage, I think it really leads us to understand why all that still is. And so let's dive into this verse and let's, let's, un, uh, let's uncover these layers a little bit. So I'm going to kick us off in verse 1. Verse 1 is a reminder to the church that because they have been raised with Christ, that they have been born again. This is some of the language we used a couple weeks ago, that they have been regenerated with Christ. They need to set their hearts and their minds on things above. When we keep our heart and mind on the things above, it means that our entire outlook, the way that we look at life, the lens that we see the world through is centered on Christ. And so how I interact on social media, how I interact with my neighbor, how I interact with strangers, how I interact with my family, we see that through what Christ has done for us. Paul's encouraging the believers in Colossians that they need to see the world through Jesus' perspective, and so do we. Now, in order to do so, Paul lists practices that believers should reconsider because these, impacts their, these, these, these uh, practices impact their relationship with God. And so Paul tells the, the church to put to death these sins. This implies to the believers that they need to eliminate these sins from their lives. Now we know with any habit, whatever it may be, if we go cold turkey, it's really hard to just say, hey, I'm going to stop, quit, not do this right now. I mean, I hear stories about how people are able to do it, but oftentimes it's really hard. We might experience a relapse where you know, we try to quit, we try to give everything up, we don't do it gradually, we quit, and then you know, we're able to do it for a certain amount of time, but then we go back and we realize, man, like it's so hard. And so the concept of put to death 
also implies this idea of depriving or slaying these sins. And so it's also a process where we put to death these, these sins. And so verse 5 through 9, Paul lists some of these lifestyles that believers need to turn away from, need to limit in their life, so that they can keep their focus on Jesus. And so these sins are categorized into two big categories, sexual sins and sins of anger. Now, to clarify, God doesn't have an issue with sex. But when sex is taken out of God's design in a marriage, then it becomes an issue, and we'll explain a little bit why. And so the sexual sins that Paul lists points to people abusing, again, the design that God has for sex of having uncontrolled and selfish desires to want more pleasure at the cost of another individual. And, and some people were, were going about this in illicit ways, uncontrolled ways. And so, you know, some people just wanted their pleasures to be fulfilled. And so they were trying to find any way to get their pleasures fulfilled if it meant, again, illegal or abusive ways. The second category of sin that Paul includes is the sin of anger, sins of anger. And these, are notable, and these are notable because anger hurts and undermines and destroys community. Paul notes that these two sin categories are harmful to the life of a believer because it affects their strive towards holiness. And I think another part that Paul, you know, why these two sins are highlighted, not that any other sins are, are less important, because I think all sins are important, but I think these two are highlighted because when it comes to sexual sins and sins of anger, it really isolates the person who are committing those sins to themselves when Christ has called us to be a part of the church, to be a part of community. It isolates us. And so I think being isolated from the community that God has called us to puts us in a place where we can't set our minds to God or set our hearts to God. Now later in the second half of verse 9 and in the beginning of verse 10, Paul reminds that we have been raised with Christ, similar to what he had reminded us in verse 1, that we have been raised with Christ and by using the language of taking off your old self and putting on the new, he's almost using this language in reference to kind of how when we wear our clothes and they get dirty, like when we go garden or when we work and, and our clothes get dirty, we're taking off old clothes, our dirty old clothes, and putting on new clothes. And when you put on new clothes, like when I put on a fresh pair of, you know, a fresh pair of pants or or undergarments or t-shirts, like, yeah, I was like, that stuff's, you know, the old stuff's going to wash. Like, I'm not wearing that if, if I absolutely don't have to. And sometimes we get a little late on laundry, so we're like, ah, oh, you know, the t-shirt might be okay, but, you know, but really, it's like, it's the idea, the, once we take off our old dirty laundry, like, we don't want to touch that until we wash it. And so Paul's telling us, you've been raised with Christ. Think of it like you're taking your old self off and you're putting yourself on the new, like how you put on new clothes. And so there's no desire for us to wear this old clothes anymore. But you see, the church in, Col in Colossae, the letter in Colossians, Paul realized that the church was struggling with, with, the, with the false philosophies, with the pressures of, of yes, we're Christians, but then you know, it would kind of be like, well, why are we struggling with these sins? And so Paul's like, you've been raised in Christ. Like, take those old clothes away. Wear your new clothes. And then in verse 10, Paul's telling us, Put on the new self because we're being renewed. And this idea is really crucial of being renewed. And it can be understand, understood as a continual renewal. 
and continually being improved and continually being developed and continually being matured. Paul telling us that when we set our minds and our hearts on the things above, when we set our minds and our hearts on Christ, and we take off these old sins, these sexual sins, these sins of anger, and we put on the new clothes, we're being renewed continually. We're being improved daily to be like Christ. And specifically, in verse 10, it says this really quickly, but Paul says that we are being renewed in the knowledge of God. Paul tells us we're being renewed in the knowledge of God. And this knowledge of God is crucial in helping us live a life pleasing to God because in order to live a life that is holy, we need to know what God considers holy. This knowledge that we're being renewed in is a deep, thorough, true, precise, divine knowledge of God. And this knowledge is found in our Bible. You see, in another letter that Paul writes to believers, Paul writes this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That's a paraphrase of 2 Timothy verse 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Scripture also corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do what to do what is right. So what he is referring to here to here is that we need to be renewed in the knowledge of God by being in, in the Bible, being in Scripture. We also find this when Jesus was alive. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before his betrayal, he prays for his disciples. And one of the things that he asks for God in his prayer is to sanctify them in truth. Sanctify my disciples in truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify is related to this big theological concept called sanctification, which is the continuing work of God in humans that makes us more and more free from sin. So if you want to take a deep dive into, into this idea of what it means to have the knowledge of God and to continue to be renewed so that we can be free from sin, sanctification is something you can look up. You see, generally, the work of sanctification, it consists of God's doing and our doing. So we're working together. God does some of the work, God does the work, and we're doing the work. And generally, this process of, of sanctifying, this process of, of being renewed, we also believe that it's a slow process and expands from when we first believe in Jesus all the way up until we pass or Jesus returns. And so sometimes when we feel like, God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? I believe in you. You are my Savior. You've declared me free from sins, past, present, and future. Where are you? How come I'm still experiencing sin in my life? Whether I'm 
the one committing the sin or someone else is committing the sin upon me. Sanctification is a process that expands throughout our entire life. Again, from when we first believe until our life ends or until Christ comes back. And it's a process where the Holy Spirit is cleaning us from the inside out, purging all that is evil and sinful. And so sometimes in our wondering, of where are you, Jesus? Why am I experiencing sin? Whether I'm committing sin or I'm the victim of sin, understand that we are all in this process. If and when we believe in Jesus, we are all in this process where all that is being made clean. And that will be made perfect again when we pass or when Jesus comes back. So Jesus prayed that his disciples would be sanctified in truth and Again, in the truth that he's talking about is Scripture. So he's praying that Scripture would keep the disciples holy. So the solution that Paul offers to us in Colossians is that we live in the world filled with sin's consequence, but we can be freed from sin's power by knowing God's truth and reading his Bible, reading the Bible. So you see, we were to summarize this in one sentence, it's this. The right understanding of God leads to the right relationship with God. The right understanding of God leads to the right, under, leads to the right relationship with God. We receive right understanding of God from the Bible, and that keeps us holy. We are spiritually alive in God, and we are declared free from sin's punishment, when we believe in Jesus, but the consequence of sin still lingers. And so when we sin or when sin is committed unto us, that consequence is still around. We all feel it to one degree or another. Again, whether it's us struggling with an unhealthy habit or others doing wrong to us. And if there's a specific time where we should be feeling the consequence of sin, I mean, we've been feeling it these last few weeks, the last few months, the last year here with COVID and the injustices that we're experiencing in our society. And our struggle with sin's power and consequence, again, will still linger until Jesus Christ returns. But know that we can experience freedom from sin's power by having the right understanding of God. By understanding that, yes, we may not feel the completeness of being freed from sin, but every day we're being renewed. Every day we're being purged from the evil within us and other believers are being purged from the evil within them so that we can experience what it's like not to have sin in our world anymore. So when we have the right understanding of God it leads us to be holy. It leads us to be in a right relationship with God. So what does it mean for us? Got two takeaways for us. First, Paul encourages the believers in Colossians to set their minds and hearts on the things above and to be renewed in, our, in, in, renewed in our knowledge. And again, that's part of our responsibility and that's part of God's responsibility. And so our responsibility is to be faithfully understanding Scripture, to understand God's Word. Sometimes we might find the Bible to be boring, intimidating, unimportant, However, if it's the means to keep us holy, if it's the means to keep us free from sin's power, 
we need to re-examine what is making it boring, intimidating, unimportant for us. We might even have to take a step back and realize and then wonder, do I believe in Jesus? Sometimes I know it feels intimidating because it's, it's, it's a big book and there's a lot of vocabulary that, that it's like, what does this mean? How do I pronounce this word? I don't get it. Or simply, it's just, it's a lot. And I would encourage you, instead of comparing yourself to others, or instead of thinking that I have to understand all this right now, or I have to read all this right now, I encourage you to just take it a little bit at a time. It's not so much how much that you're reading, but more so how much are you understanding. Take it verse by verse, passage by passage, chapter by chapter. There's a great app out of the App Store and the Google Store called the YouVersion Bible. And they have all sorts of plans that you can use to help you break this down again, piece by piece, so it doesn't feel so intimidating. Use resources to help you understand. And sometimes when we don't understand something, doesn't make it very important. Doesn't make it very important, or maybe it feels intimidating. And so, find different ways to engage with the Bible. There's plenty out there. Secondly, being sanctified, being renewed daily from sin's power is a lifelong work. Lifelong work that we participate with Jesus in. It's not an easy. It's not an easy experience but it's worthwhile. So in the fast-paced society that we live in, where it feels like there's something new every minute, every second, and we can't quite keep up with it, tell yourself it's okay to slow down. It's okay to slow down because the work of God is a lifelong experience. Here's a prayer that I'd like to end with by a priest named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin called the Slow Work of God. And I invite you to, to read along quietly, read along with me as we say this prayer. So if you want to close your eyes and, and, and you know I read it, feel free to do so. If you want to read along with me on the screen, feel free to do so. But this is a prayer that talks about this slow work of God. This is what it says. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability. And then it may take a, a very long time. And, I so, and so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances, acting your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. 
only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in insuspense 